Welcome to B2B Impact by BDB. Join me, Matt Smith, CEO of BDB, and Oliver Brewood, BDB's Head of Digital and Technology, as we get together to discuss the myriad of trends, topics, opportunities, and developments in the world of B2B marketing and communications. Our aim is to arm you with content, opinions, and insights that deliver lasting and meaningful impact across the B2B community, helping the global businesses and brands we partner with navigate their way through the information and communication revolution. Are you ready to make an impact? Hi everybody and welcome to the next episode of the B2B Impact where this week we're focusing on all things artificial intelligence or AI. Um, do you want to kick off Ollie with your, your definition? I'd like to put you on the spot with these ones and ask you. Yeah, why not? Um, I think I, I realised this the other day when I was thinking about it. I, I think we all tend to think when you start talking about AI, you start thinking about sci-fi movies and their mm-hmm. kind of definition of AI. So my, my go-to is usually Terminator and Skynet. Yep. Yep. Um, and I think it was only the other day that I really realised that the, the term AI, I know the, the current usage of it isn't that, but I think I only just really clocked on that that really isn't what it is at all. Yep. It's not about having um, something that is sentient and self-aware. It's about um, having something that can kind of mimic or even go beyond human uh, capabilities in certain areas, mm-hmm. which is really more about what the, the modern applications of AI are, either yep. to make our lives easier, to automate tasks, or just to be able to, to do calculations that we just aren't capable of. Mm-hmm. And typically, I guess to take it right back to basics, it's all based around data in the, in the, in the first instance, because yep. without the data, um, I'm going to come on to privacy settings and so on later on, but in the sense of collection of data to actually enable the machines, the computers to make some predictions or decisions yeah. based on that data. I think self-driving cars are an excellent example of that. So why we're seeing self-driving cars becoming a thing and I'm sure they'll become mainstream in a, in a number of years time. Um, that's all based on, on, on the data that they've been fed and that they've learned from, from test drives and so on and so forth mm-hmm. to understand what's a danger, to understand the stopping distance, to understand when a, a child playing with a ball by the side of the road could be a hazard and it might need to, to bear that in mind as it's driving. Mm-hmm. So all that is based on the data points it's been fed with certain algorithms built into that data analysis. Yes, explaining how to understand it, how to pattern recognize. Um, yeah. But I guess in terms of the, the actual data itself, so you've got the data, you've got the algorithms that are kind of forcing the predictive analysis that the, the machines, let's call them, are effectively performing. The ability to kind of learn, advance and evolve is an interesting area, I guess, is not just taking the data and making a straight decision, but also be able to get things right, wrong, improve, and kind of um, finesse that decision-making yeah. over time. It was something when I was doing a lot of the re- pre-reading, is what leads you more towards the fear-mongering side of AI, I guess, Yeah, and I think we can touch more on it probably later on in the podcast, but uh, I was uh, listening to an example where it was talking about how you can feed a computer uh, pictures of, of uh, cats, for example, and just keep giving a picture out picture after picture and saying this is a cat this is a cat this is a cat mm-hmm. we've not said a cat is something that is this shape size has a tail that shape has ears this shape has whiskers etc mm-hmm. it's just learning that itself um but then i guess the the fear angle and potential concern comes from we don't know behind the scenes what the computer has decided is a cat yeah so obviously in this situation there's not a big cause for concern because if it messes up and gives you a picture that's actually a dog or a fox or something else entirely it doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. but if you start extrapolating that to something where ai has a more serious application whether that's 
defence or something to do with uh, equal rights or government or anything like that, mm-hmm. then there could be a bigger concern there if it's making uh, faulty decisions and we don't actually understand its decision-making process. But the machine thinks it's correct, yeah. potentially. Which and, I guess and is probably <laughs> is correct to a degree. Uh, it's probably Maybe. matching it. If we take a picture example, because of the colour of the picture or whatever it might be, yeah. but it, it might not be matching it on what we've expected it to match on. I think it's an interesting point. I think when we were talking around prior to the podcast starting to recording, it was around, um, I guess, as the generations of people, humans, are becoming more woke, if that's the right word to be using, but more aware and more conscious um, when we're thinking about even things like um, EDI, uh, equality, diversity... Um, has the machine got the ability to kind of take that kind of empathy that you get as a human mm-hmm. and that emotive value into play or if it's just hard data that it's basing yeah. facts on that's where there's a risk obviously things could go wrong yeah. potentially further down the line well there's a video that I'm sure we can drop into into the podcast description if people are interested but it was talking about you know the, the potential of applying AI to like the, the judicial system mm-hmm. and there you have, you've got all sorts of concerns about um the, the propensity of somebody to reoffend, and it, it could be making that decision let's just say on the surface okay 90% of that category of person whatever that category of person is or that category of criminal mm-hmm. might reoffend. Mm-hmm. It, it's not necessarily allowing for the, the chance that somebody will reform and not plan to reoffend, but the system yep. might have effectively flagged them as likely to reoffend. but then the other example that it, it was talking about there is it might not be trying to be biased against a particular like socioeconomic class of person mm-hmm. or a particular racial group of people, but based on things that it doesn't realize are connected based on like things like geographic area, et cetera, yeah. it might accidentally be introducing those biases either because of almost accidentally been programmed in based on the programmer's bias mm-hmm. or because it's learned something where there's almost like correlated data. Yeah. It might be introducing biases itself and, then that's where you've got that bigger concern of if you can't see behind the curtain uh, as it's to fully as like audit its decision making process yeah then it could be doing things that we've not even you know thought of and it's still very much i would say emerging technology i mean when you look back at the timeline of when ai kind of was first considered to be its inception i think it goes back to the 1940s in its earliest format uh, even when a computer uh, had the ability to kind of retain memory and, and and use data in a more informed format but why do you think ai is going to be so important going forward into the the future now as we sit here today well i think i can't be certain uh, but I, I think it's in the last sort of 10 years or so we've really seen the term thrown around quite a lot and we've seen different applications of it um, really come in and um, it's just got obviously there's a lot of power in in terms of how it can help us in terms of making our lives easier in terms of making our lives more efficient in terms of uh, doing things that we just aren't capable of doing because we're not smart enough Mm -hmm. or because we all expire and ai can be around longer working out problems that we are just too complex to to work on Um, and we're seeing some of those applications I suppose come in now that, that you know we've already talked about self-driving cars as an as an example mm-hmm. where obviously that has the potential to significantly reduce the number of road accidents um, I think that it's it's clear that humans are the cause of most car crashes because we're not paying attention we get distracted and so yep. on and so forth so the potential for self-driving cars to to save lives is is very 
uh, real. Then you've got things like smart assistants that I think many of us are using on a regular basis. And while some of the uses of that, like I regularly use it to set reminders, that's a very simple thing, but it's still having to understand what I say, which I think is, yeah. again, a form of AI. Um, but they can get more complex, you know, when, when you're uh, being prompted. I, th I think I was always amazed a few years ago when I sort of was asking my smart assistant just randomly. I did it as a joke. I didn't expect it to be able to respond about flights to, I think I was looking at flights to Spain. Yeah. And it's uh, telling me the price if I fly at this time or that time. And then I was like, okay, thanks. And it says, do you want, do you want to um, set a reminder? I can let you know uh, when these flights reduce in price. And it's just like the fact that it was giving me multiple contextually relevant um, things that I would legitimately want to do mm -hmm. it seemed quite quite an impressive thing for it to be able to do and that's just going to grow and grow and grow as it learns more things well, it's advancing alongside the tech isn't it because I think as you say the smart assistance is an interesting one that people probably don't even think is AI to an extent but I mean, it, it's people using them so frequently now whether it's your Alexa your Siri or whatever, whatever was it a Bixby is it or a Samsung still or something yeah, like yeah. that but I think the use of that and how sophisticated they are getting and how quickly that's advanced to give you to think the last couple of years how much of that's come on two years on again yeah. uh, and I don't think they've ever launched it but like Google were, were experimenting with and, and demonstrated some trials at some of their events of the, a smart assistant being able to phone up and book appointments for you so you'd say I'll try not to activate my phone while saying this you'd say <laughs> Google will you please um, yeah, try and book me a haircut at this, at this salon at this time and it'll place a phone call it will speak to the salon owner it was able to understand what was being said back to it and it would be like yeah my client would like a haircut at this time can you do that and it would say actually we can't have this time will this time work and then in some cases I think it was able to say yes that will work or let me get back to you uh, and then hang up the call but it was literally able to book a restaurant reservation or salon for you mm. um, and I think you're just going to find there's more and more of that and when you start thinking about applications to the B2B world now, I guess we're not really there yet because it probably requires more development for it to be able to understand a broader array of things. But you could easily get to a position where you're saying, hey, can you, uh, Google, can you find me a supplier for, for, for this type of uh, part that I'm missing or these office supplies I'm looking for? Yeah. I really don't want to pay more than this sort of price for it. So if you can get me 10,000 pens at this price, that'd be great. You can imagine that's, that's not really that much of a stretch. Because efficiency seems to be the main upside to it at the minute in terms of the volume of data that it can kind of crunch through in the speed that a, a human brain physically can't at the minute. Do you think, do you think there's a genuine risk? Cause it, when you hear about the fear-mongering around AI, you hear a lot of worries about it taking jobs and you know, replacing humans. Do you think that's inevitable? I think we saw that in history, haven't we, with the Industrial Revolution. Um, it... it does create a shift in the type of jobs that are required mm -hmm. um, and I know I've seen some uh, kind of talks um, kind of expressing how the idea of it could be to free up humans to, to focus on other things to focus on hobbies and other pursuits I, I mean, that's very idealistic kind of utopian it, 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 environment it is, but even, we'll there, even, but. even if you think about our own business if we could take away various more administrative led tasks so the guys can focus on more creative Mm -hmm. brainstorming and genuine innovative opportunities you'd do that all day long wouldn't you I yeah guess. so it's the same kind of principle as that well you start thinking like just internally for our business we've got lots of work all the time which is great but you, you're constantly thinking about how to organize that mm -hmm. how do you make sure the right person's scheduled how do you cope if they're off sick you need somebody else to do it and there's obviously the potential there that all of that could be fully managed by an AI in the future yeah, yeah. so yeah a, a content writer comes in the building and a screen pops up and it says Here's your schedule, Jenny. Here's the things that you need to work on today. Yeah. And and it's got 
pulled everything together from various emails or other sources. Um, it's worked out based on what delays have, have happened, what work needs to be done today. So just making somebody's life, yeah, like you say, focus on the, the creative aspect, in that case, copywriting of their role so they don't high, have to high worry high about the activity that, that technically yeah. the machine shouldn't be able to do, I guess. Yeah. Well, maybe with time. Well, that's one of the examples I know we've talked about before and I can mention again in a minute, which is yeah, AI copywriting. Well, let's, let's move on to that in terms of different applications that we've seen or where you, where you see it crop up in our world, I guess, at the minute, particularly across yeah. marketing and B2B marketing because it's more present and prevalent than maybe you think at the first thought of different um, AI-type applications, I guess. Yeah, yeah so um, I've, I've just played around with a, a few of them because I think, um, and we can touch on it in a minute as well around like AI and big data. So mm -hmm. we've kind of already touched on that, but I'll, we'll touch on it more specifically for B2B in a moment. Yep. Um, but there are some very... Um, easy to get into initial applications that we've seen cropping up and one of those is the AI copywriting mm -hmm. side and I know you've played with this before Matt and um, I just decided to do a quick test ahead of today's podcast so I put uh, put together an article about AI in, in B2B mm -hmm. and it starts to you get through a six step process where I've sort of said AI and B2B I want to target artificial intelligence a keyword and B2B is another keyword and then it gives me like eight topic choices and some of them are like that's not what I meant that's not really what I meant and then I get to how artificial intelligence is changing the world of, the bus of business I'm like yeah that, oh, kind that, of, sounds good. <laughs> that sounds like kind of what I wanted sounds like a good so headline. I, click, I click next on that and then it gives me a quick excerpt from or introduction paragraph for it and I was like yep that, that also sounds great you're talking about AI how it changes business how it can lead to more efficiencies um, helping helping people um and get that, time back to focus on what's important. It's literally that, reading your, it now. You set your word count, your blog, your, your yeah, blog yeah. count. But it's literally our paragraph I'm reading right now is exactly what we just talked about, giving people time to focus on what's important instead of focusing on the admin. And then it starts spinning so, out. Roughly how long did that take you to do that? To pull out this uh, blog took me three, four minutes. Okay. So in a world where content is king and you've got mass production of content and, and the way the algorithms are working on the social media platforms that you've got to constantly producing content to kind of rank or have anything really seen anywhere. The speed of being able to do that four minutes versus yeah. sitting there and writing that and doing your research and doing everything else, which I don't know, a few hours, a few hours at a minimum, yeah. I would think. Where, where do you think you stand on that? Because what's the quality of it like? So I think that I was quite curious about this. I was, I'm wondering if you put this in front of somebody that doesn't know a computer wrote it, yep. uh, will they know. think this comes across as odd? And I'd say to an extent, yes, from the point of view of it gave me um, about six, seven headlines, each one of them having two or three paragraphs underneath, and you can see that it's a little bit repetitive. Yes. So from that point of view, I think that's where you, know, you get halfway through it as a human and I'd expect you to go like, ooh, that's a bit odd. That, Why is it starting talking enough, about exactly, the same point that's again? That's exactly what I found with the Jasper one that I played with because that was, it was good. You, you, you get quite um, taken aback with the first paragraph and I was like, ooh, this is quite good. And then you sort of get like second or third paragraph in. It's kind of reiterating the same content over and over again yeah. and wording it slightly differently. Or adding it like maybe they talked about two points and now there's three points and so on and so forth. Yeah. But I think certainly from an ideas point of view, like it's, if you wanted to use this as a way to think about what should we be talking about this has given you a lot like six seven different areas you could go and research in more detail if you wanted to create a more in-depth article i so think nothing I'm else, it the, way, the way it works effectively is trawling the web for any of the relevant information articles blogs that it can find in an instant yeah and scraping it almost in a way so, yeah. word in it but it's, it's very clever and then i tried googling 
uh, I think I, I tried five, six paragraphs from from this to see if it had like just straight, straight, lift. lift, straight lifted anything. It hadn't. I think I found one paragraph that was not even the same, but just covered the same topic as another paragraph that was on another website. But none of them that I could find were the same. I, I kind of expected just to find the same paragraphs mm-hmm. written nearly verbatim somewhere else, and that, that isn't the case. It's obviously doing a better job than that. Sure. And I'd even selected like UK English, and I forgot what example there was in here, but it was it was a very like colloquial English term, mind-boggling. That was it. <laughs> so I'd thrown it. The potential of artificial intelligence is mind-boggling. Is the start of one of the sentences, and that just because I've selected UK I'm assuming that's not as much a phrase in the US I might be wrong but that feels very British in its phrasing and I've selected UK English very clever what what other applications have you seen so far? so the other ones I was playing with uh, yesterday uh, and having a look around with one of them was uh, around video narration I've seen quite a few ads on YouTube recently for this sort of thing so you pop in your script and it'll narrate it for you. So if you're creating a video, you can drop that in. You don't need to hire a voiceover artist. You mm-hmm. don't need to try and do it your, yourself either. Um, you can often pick uh, the gender, the nationality, the accent of the person mm-hmm. um, that is, is going to read it. Um, and, then, and then some of them are, are quite convincing. I think when I've listened to some, you can almost hear a little bit of the artificial intelligence trying to it now and again. Do you so, that's because you know, though, again, like some of the pros of tech. Potentially, if you, yeah, yeah. If you didn't know it had been done like that and you used to You might think it's a slight quirk in the, in the voiceover, maybe, or something. But I, no, think, 100%. I think voiceovers are also interesting because, what, well, it's incredibly expensive, the time consuming to organize. And if you try and do it yourself, you, you it can quick. end up, yeah. depending how practiced you are and how much you care if you make mistakes and how perfect you want the outcome to be, I think there is something depending on the type of video, to not making it perfect. But I realise if you're doing like a big well, company that, video, you might that want that level that we of discussed, polish. wasn't it, offline before? Again, I think it was a couple of days ago when we talked about this as a topic. In B2B, I always think there's that need, the, 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 the desire for perfection because they want something to be slick, glossy, yeah. professional. Um, and kind of anything remotely imperfect doesn't, doesn't make the yeah. grade. Which is why with this kind of stuff, I wonder, it, I think it will have its time. I've no doubt about that. But I think in, in its infancy at the minute, I think it's a, perhaps a, a little bit too imperfect for applications in B2B. Potentially, but I think it's like, if, it, if it's something you're doing and you want to do a lot of video content, I think it's worth, worth a glance at least. Like, I, we can potentially link to this YouTube video I found as well where somebody was playing with different tools. Um, and there's one tool he used, and I've forgotten the name of it. I think it was called Resemble. Right. Um, and, and when he dropped in a paragraph at first, press play, you could hear it sounded like every fifth or tenth word sounded a little bit text-to-speech-ish. Yeah. And then he just started playing with the, twi- uh, the, the pitch. So you could basically go in and it's almost like you're a director. You're saying, I want this bit to be high pitch. I want that bit to be low pitch. I want that bit to have extra emphasis. Mm-hmm. And then he pressed play again. It sounded flawless, even like a, me listening to it, knowing that it's artificially intelligent. And, and the fact that it was changing pitch and tone as it went through it sounded, sounded realistic then. And then he, he played with another tool in the same video, um, which I think was company called Wellset Labs and again it just sounded phenomenal um, so I, I, th- I think there's a potential depending on what you're trying to do to look at them but um, it is it is that more programmed route so it really depends how much polish you're looking for and what purpose it is it's that compromise between speed and yeah and not accuracy but speed and perfection I guess if you know what I mean you, you, I'd certainly be willing to compensate slightly on the perfectionism probably I think over time if any, you could produce content quicker because I think one of the biggest frustrations that even we have as an agency, let alone our clients that we work with, is the speed that you can produce content at. Um, and all these kind of tools 
are enabling you to do it in a, in a much, much, yeah. much quicker manner. I think we were sort of saying as well when we spoke about it, you can imagine certainly for, you know, you've got a lot of people that are, are setting up their own companies or, or they've got a blog and they want to do video content, whatever it might be. Certainly for that end of it, it 100% makes sense because mm-hmm. for, the, for the cost of like $50 a month, you've got access to all the narrations you could possibly need. Um, but I think, yeah, if you're trying to put something across that's very professional, while I think it's always worth playing with these tools and seeing what's out there, I suspect that you know, getting your professional narrator to, or, or CEO or whoever it might be that's good at narrating to actually deliver it will probably be more impactful. <coughs> okay. And what, what, what did you want to say on big data? I know we touched on that towards the start of the podcast when we were talking around obviously the everything being based around data and one of the, one of the big disadvantages around AI is, is mooted to be it only knows what it knows because it only knows what's been put in so to speak yeah so I think when you start thinking about data and thinking about the data that your business is likely to hold um, I think straight away you're going to have all your customer data uh, if you've got a CRM like Salesforce you've probably got data about when contact first started how long that deal took to get over the line and so on and so forth you probably even have details in there as well like who were who were the um, decision makers that are involved. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where you start having the possibility um, to have uh, things like AI be able to look at that data and understand, well, what does an ideal customer actually look like? Yeah. Does this type of customer actually um, convert into, or sorry, does this type of prospect convert into a customer? Who needs to be involved in the, the deal um, yeah. you know, for this to actually convert? Because it's easy for us to say, Oh, we think if you get the marketing director and a CEO involved, you will nearly always get the sale. But actually having that, if, you, if you're doing enough sales, having, having data to, to say that will help your salespeople that then make smarter decisions mm-hmm. and say, can we get the CEO down and, and get them involved? And then I started thinking about, further about that. You, you could have things like um, renewals, like what signals indicate a customer might renew or might not renew? Because yep. I think that's when, when you start thinking about marketing applications, that could be a really great point for you to be able to start thinking about, well, how do we jump in? What marketing communications do we have to give yep. six months before a renewal date, three months before a renewal date to help encourage that? Likewise, uh, we were talking about it because our HR system has yes. data in there in terms of propensity for somebody to, to leave the company based on... It's got all sorts of signals in there. So uh, how senior they are, whether they line manage somebody, you how find, long they've been. Do you find part of the problem though is like if you might be able to unpick it, but unless you understand the algorithm, maybe that's my maths brain, like in the sense of like your statistics side of things. Great, it might say about like, Ollie's a flight risk and the grade you was a red and you're ten percent. I'm sorry, like ninety percent likely to leave. I, I can probably go through and try and unpick the factors I think that contributed to that. Yeah. I almost want to understand how it's made that decision. Yeah, yeah. And to be fair, with this, with our system, it does give you like the, I don't know what weights to the final factor, yeah. but it tells you all the measures in between. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's that accurate because I think we've had a couple of people leave in the last year where it sort of had them in the uh, probably safe, stable yeah, yeah. sort of range. Yeah. But I suppose that's where it comes down to, we've got what, 70 employees-ish, yeah. that's not a huge amount of data to be looking at, yeah. which is where we're not just talking data, we're really talking big data. So the more data you have in a system, the more pattern recognition there is able to be. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I don't know about our HR system, but in general, the more a, an AI system would be able to actually understand and come up with an accurate model. For Do you think, answer. given the scale of opportunity, and I guess the scale of the task ahead of you with the big data, Oh, data generally, I guess. Do you think there's going to be more roles created in businesses dedicated towards data? 
data managers. I think you see that already in terms of having like data scientists as, as roles and things like that. Um, but we don't tend to see that across many of our clients yet. Of, oh, I'm not familiar with many of our clients that have actually hired a data scientist in yet. But I think to no. really capitalise on this, you're going to need that kind of expertise and, and dedication to it, I would imagine. Yeah, and, and enough, I guess, enough data captured in your system to make that worthwhile. That means that a certain scale of business. So it's, I think it's much easier to see applications for all of this technology in B2C, yep. where your transactions are in the millions. And I don't mean value. I mean, you are making millions of transactions a week, a month, or whatever it is, because then you can really understand. If McDonald's introduced a new burger tomorrow, they'll have a huge amount of data within the next week or two about how successful that is. Yep. Whereas if our clients introduce a new product, that might take six months, a year or longer to yep. work out how popular that really is with their client base. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's that, that scale of data makes it a bit harder. But I do agree that you will start seeing more and more roles dedicated to that. I just think without, without that level of investment, the risk is that it'll always be a pipe dream and... I'll try not to swear, rubbish in, rubbish out, so to speak, will end up, you know, if you've not, if you're not got the sufficient uh, quantum data or the sufficient uh, detail behind it, then it's going to be making poorly informed decisions, potentially, yeah. isn't it, if you know what I mean? So. Which is why I think it's it's pr- probably at the minute a bit more niche uh, to and only applicable to companies that do have, yeah, large volumes of data, not just 60, 70 records of data. Is, is it worth finishing off with kind of ethics around AI? Because obviously... There is, there's, a, there's a fair amount of scaremongering and a fair yeah. amount of concern around it as a subject that, um, you know, if you, depending on which videos you use, the machines are going to take over the world. They're going well, to you've got more a few emotive, concerns, haven't you? You've obviously got the, the, what we talked about at the beginning, which is that AI has the potential to draw conclusions it doesn't even realise it's making, as it also has the potential to, to recognise things in a way that weren't intended. Um, and, and that we wouldn't kind of morally know that's not the right thing to do or you're making decisions based on correlated data, not, not factual data. So I think from that point of view, you have to be careful about the applications. Um, and I would say for, the, for most of our client base, that's probably not a huge level of concern because they're not dealing with highly sensitive subject matters. Mm-hmm. If you jump into things like um, GDPR and consider just a few of the criteria there, you've got... Um, you've got uh, extra rules in place for where you're ha- housing uh, gambling data or medical record data. It's, it's um, data with like a high degree of sensitivity. I think if you're dealing with any of those areas, mm-hmm. the ethics aspect of, of um, AI is probably much more relevant. Speaking of GDPR, obviously we've talked about data a lot here. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's the other level of concern is how much data are you, are you holding? And is it actually personal data or not? Because I think a lot of our examples that we've been talking about would be more company data, yep. of which um, there shouldn't be a, a, a level of privacy concern. It's more about who is the company that you're trying to sell to, um, what size they are, what, what's their revenue. is often quite public data. And then you might have data about like when you spoke to them, when did they buy, how much did they buy, and that's all really just your transactional data. Mm-hmm. I suppose the data uh, protection aspect of it will more come in with regards to how much personal data are you retaining about the decision makers of that company? Yep. Um, what have they agreed to? How long are you retaining that data? So that might be where um, there needs to be some level of, of understanding of you might not be able to hold as much as you want all the time to be able to draw conclusions about the decision makers. Sure. And then I suppose the other point you mentioned um, briefly there was, is it making decisions based on the data that's there but not understanding why the data is there. Because I think there's quite a few examples I've seen of this happening, whether that's um, 
happening in I've seen eggs happen in video games. You see it happen in, even when you're looking at Google Analytics for a, for a website, I know that's not an AI application, but the, if you think about Google Analytics for a website, it's just telling you what pages people went to. Yeah. It's not telling you why they went to them. Yeah. So you end up in a debate when you're sort of looking at building your website, looking to structure it, should we drop a page? And it's easy to look at that and go, well, hang on a second, that's one of our most popular pages at the moment. Yeah. But you need to then layer that the with con- the why is it the most popular? Oh, it's because it's the only link on a homepage. And that comes so you're back driving to, everybody that there. That comes back to the same thing around it only knows what it knows. So it's exactly. thing. But I so, look at the four stages of it. Because I was looking at one of the articles. It talks about reactive machines, which is more what you're saying there. It talks about limited memory, which is more linked to the self-driving cars, where it's programmed with some kind of memory that it can attach to a rule or a decision that it makes. And then it talks about theory of mind and finally self-awareness where the uh, AI systems have a sense of self. Thankfully, that isn't, that isn't the case yet. They, they don't exist, but that's more yeah. the nirvana, I guess, that where people may be shooting for. Um, okay, we've covered a lot of ground there. So I think we could speak on this subject for a long time because there's so many different avenues to go down with it. But hopefully that's a good whistle-stop tour of kind of some of the early thoughts around AI and its place it could have in business and the wider world. We'll make sure we add the links that we've been speaking to to the videos. There's some really great resources out there on this as well where you can deep dive a lot further into the subject. I um, hope you've enjoyed the episode and we'll see you next week. Thanks.